Imagine the following conversation between two best friends named Sean and David. You've got a pretty small wiener. What the fuck? It's average, asshole. What are you saying that for? Say what? Say that I've got a small wiener. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. You just said it right now. No, I didn't. You're a liar. No, you're a liar. You're fake news. By now, this should sound pretty familiar to our listener. One, because of how often Sean and David talk about their wieners, and because they're best friends, also. (laughs) Uh, Fuck off. But two, because we're all currently living in what's been called a post-truth world. That's right. This is a world where what constitutes an objective fact, and I'm using quotes here, really depends on who you ask, or more importantly, which Facebook group you belong to, whether it be the Anti-Vax Moms United or the George Soros 5G Resistance Coalition. Rest assured, though, Guys Were Screwed is a 100% pre-truth orange pill podcast. So you can trust us, right, guys? Mm, Yes. Yes. I'm so happy to say for the first time, welcome to Guys Were Screwed. My Yay, name is... you did it. <laughs> no, my my name is Chris. <laughs> I'm uh, David. Uh, well, uh, I'm Sean. I was supposed to go second. We agreed on this. Um, <laughs> I was so good, you guys. Uh, that was great. Have you, have you not ever gone, even when you've ran, started or done your own episode, have you not done that? That is correct. Yeah, I feel, Oh wow! That okay, is okay. correct. So it's kind of a it's a big moment for me. Well, there is kind of a natural yeah. deference to me, the captain, but I understand. Ob- so like that's obvi- it's, that's oh, absolutely taken over. Yeah, absolutely. I disagree. I I absolutely disagree. I absolutely. Well, disagree. you're kind of two absolutely. to one, so you kind of lost this battle. Sorry, Sean. Well, I'm stronger and faster, so we're fine. <laughs> okay. So. Now we can. The world is a fine place, and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. We're on express elevator to hell. You want to be a big bad guy, Christopher? I want your blood. I want your soul. Top of the food chain and dinner is served. Stop defending him, Sean. Our mission is to monitor extraterrestrial activity on Earth. It's all right to be afraid, David. Because this part won't be like a comic book. Welcome to Earth. We can totally agree to disagree or agree because I just love to agree. (laughs) Okay. So, if you're not already concerned by this post-truth phenomenon, we think you should be. And part of the reason why this current socio-political landscape is so contentious and so fucked up is not simply because each side claims hard facts to support their position. No. More importantly, dismissing the other side's facts as fake news has become a common strategy in maintaining one's own position. So in other words, it's no longer I disagree with your politics, it's I disagree with your facts. Mm -hmm. Right. And to a certain sense, when everyone is the arbiter of truth, there's a sense in which no one is. Again, because truth is now in the eye of the beholder. And as one as one famous little boy said, uh, little boy Ben Shapiro said, uh, "Facts don't care about your feelings." So that's right. Um, I didn't like that. Oh, he, <laughs> did did he say that? Oh yeah, that's his, that's his that? whole thing. Uh, okay, I don't. I'm glad I don't listen to him enough. I was just gonna say. Oh, I that, never listened uh, to him. I, 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 who? I, no, I think David's turning. I think David's <laughs> yeah, turning. Yeah, Ben Shapiro um, guy. No, I, I. What? What? What's? Who, who else? I'm sure many people have said this. Uh, uh, facts don't care. 
whether you believe in them or not, or something along those lines. That's another one of those yeah. things. You know? I think it would be more accurate for Ben Shapiro to say, my feelings don't care about your facts. Because yeah, I think exactly. that's that's closer to what it's <laughs> yeah. actually like with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, your, your facts that's are true. hurting my feelings. There you go. Oh. <clears throat> so they're no longer facts. Yeah. I guess not. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you guys, but I am. And I'm not trying to form a slippery, a slippery slope argument here. Uh, but there are indeed ramifications to the detruthification of public discourse. Look, for example, at the handling of the COVID pandemic in the U.S., right, where sowing distrust in the accuracy of statements made by both the scientific and the medical communities, things like, it's all a hoax, the numbers are inflated, there's no evidence showing that masks are effective, and shit like that, has led to many, many, many preventable deaths and a great deal of human suffering. Mm-hmm. Even worse, and I think the one that's scarier for us, climate change denial is now a part of the Republican platform, basically. And there's no telling how fucked we're going to be in the next few decades if that continues, which it probably will. Yeah. But even more than that, on an existential level, there's a possibility that all of this will turn the world into like a postmodern nihilistic hellscape where people have essentially given up on pursuing truth because truth is meaningless. So I I guess it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it is a pretty slippery slope, and I know about slippery slopes. Well, uh, no, no, I no, know. I'm not going to say okay. it. Okay. I know. Okay, <laughs> can I? I know about slippery holes. <laughs> uh, sure, I was gonna I was gonna say that. You know, I don't. We're 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 also a very uh, appropriate, a mature, conscientious mature. podcast. Aww. Yeah, we're 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 a, we're a good podcast. Um. Okay, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Just, I know, knew there was happen. there was something in there. So maybe it is a slippery slope. And yes, I know what you're thinking. Post-truth is because of Trump. Um, and while this whole truth mm. continuum phenomenon has popped off in the last four years as a result of the Trump administration and of Trump, it, uh, it no cap has a deeper, darker history that <laughs> goes beyond this whole Donnie Wormbrand circus that's been dominating our feeds. I like, the I like no cap. that, Donnie. I, I hear a lot of no cap in my in my, in my class. Like, I'll ask cap, someone. Cap. I'll ask someone. Uh, no cap, Mister. Oh my God! They say no cap to <laughs> cap. your face. Yeah. <laughs> That's cap. Cap is is taking over. I mean, it's one of those terms that you think is in the the younger generations, but I'm starting to hear it bleed into the yeah. older generations. You you should be like, you know, we have a pop quiz today, and they'll be like, really? Be like, no cap, and then you give them a pop quiz, and and you make it fucking hard, Damn. so they just. They never say that to you again. I also really like Donnie Wormbrain Circus. I feel like that should be an actual circus. That'd be terrible. <laughs> Donnie Wormbrain Circus. Yeah, I I feel like that's uh, I don't know. It, it reminds me of um, American Horror Story. Yeah, It'd be like that kind of freak show yeah. type Ryan thing. Murphy but it's just money. all the Republicans. Seriously, Lady Gaga's gonna be there. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wait, she was, was she in that? Oh no, she was in the next season. She was in, she was in two or three seasons yeah. but, now. I don't think I she, was she was in Freak Show. Room. Freak Show sucked. I think I watched most of Freak Show High, so I don't barely uh, remember any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was Freak Show? Yeah. No, she was. She was. Yeah, Hotel, and then she was in Roanoke. Oh, was she, she in, Roanoke? in Roanoke? Yeah, she was the witch of the of the woods. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. That's right. The worst of them all. The worst one of. Oh them no, all. Freak Show is way worse than Roanoke. Freak Show is the worst. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I hate Freak Show. Uh, 
Yeah, I. This is yeah. an American Horror Story podcast now, guys. I yeah. was just gonna say well, it's turning. You know what? Drop what we're doing. Go, we're guess, this one. Welcome to guys. We're American Horror Story <laughs> podcast. <laughs> your favorite, your favorite Ryan Murphy Pill podcast. <laughs> RP Pill. So, all right. Well, enough, enough uh, American Horror Story for now. I'm sure it'll come up later. Yeah. Uh, so. Hope not. Something I, I want us to get into today is uh, some important questions, the hard-hitting questions. Questions like, where did this all come from? And where is it taking us? Can we reverse mm-hmm. our headlong fall into Après moi le déluge? And if so, mm-hmm. how? Come join us, dear listeners, on this journey where we seek the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, Satan. Amen. Uh, Satan. What's uh, the après mode le déluge? So mean? like after me the flood. So it's like you know, uh, um, it's kind of like a like a like a term for nihilistic thought. You know, it's like I think you need to uh, okay. catch up on your French there, Sean. Right, because David knew what that of meant. Of course. Um, so oui. I would after <laughs> after me the flood. That that that's like that should be my coin for. My mastery (laughs) (laughs) of the female uh, form. Well done. Thank you. Ladies, after me. (laughs) (laughs) How's that sound, ladies? I know. I I sold it, especially if I say it in French. I mean, if I I say it in English, it doesn't sound so beautiful. Mm. (laughs) Okie doke. All right. All right. So sources for today. We've got a number of different sources. Uh, One is the book Post-Truth by Lee McIntyre. Uh, another one is uh, the book Post Truth Fake News: Viral, Viral Modernity in Higher Education, by edited by Peters et al. This is kind of a collection of essays. Uh, another book, okay. The Death of Truth, by Michiko Kakutani, and then there's a couple articles in here. One, uh, Beyond Misinformation: Understanding and Coping with the Post Truth Era. There's a two, 2017 article by Lewandowski et al. from the Journal of Applied Research in Memory and Cognition. That's an interesting article. And then the last one anti-vaccine decision-making and measles resurgence in the United States, which is a uh, Mm. 2019 article from the journal Global Pediatric Health uh, by Olivia Beneke and Sarah Elizabeth DeYoung. So I went hard. I went hard on the sources. Seriously. That was solid. That was solid. Starting off today, um, I want to talk about a little bit of background and history. And so I've been throwing around this term post-truth, uh, but like anything else, it's uh, helpful to kind of wrap our minds around what is a working definition of post-truth. So if you crack open the Oxford Dictionary, you'll find the following definition, because there is a definition of post-truth in the Oxford Dictionary, and this is what it is. It says, quote, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or personal belief. Is that new? Like, was added recently after all this shit? Uh, I think it was or... 2016 or 2017. Okay. I think it was added. That would um, be the years, yeah. Interesting, yeah. yeah, after Trump got in. So this kind of ties directly back into our Ben Shapiro. right? So Ben Shapiro is our our kind of uh, little flipping the script on his uh, dumbass quote is really kind of gets to the heart of of this definition of post-truth right and it's like the way that i feel about something it doesn't matter um at all what the facts are because my yeah. my own emotions or my own personal beliefs are more important 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, um, before we go overpass, did you guys hear that Ben Shapiro is starting his own like entertainment division for the oh. for the Daily Wire or whatever, oh, whatever his fucking what website's called? Oh, he's gonna have a website. Was he gonna make it the fucking channel? I'm, next? I'm gonna, the I'm gonna, Shapiro channel. I'm actually gonna go into it more when we talk to the Patreon this week. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a option for uh, conservatives to get entertainment that doesn't that doesn't. Uh, offend their values which is just okay dude wow <laughs> so it's 100 percent wow. truth free yeah it's a, yeah it's yeah it's, it's that's some snowflakey ass shit i can't too. imagine I mean, it's getting anything damn. else than they buy the rights to the movie death wish and just show that over and over again yeah that's the probably, only thing of. <laughs> probably. <clears throat> jesus hmm. so Sorry, go ahead continue chris we'll probably we'll probably be getting into ben shapiro a lot throughout today we might, but <clears throat> so we start with this working definition and the social science philosopher, Lee McIntyre, which I think is a really interesting thing to study. I study the philosophy of social science. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lee McIntyre expands on this definition in his book, and he does it in the following way. So first, he argues that post-truth, quote, amounts to a form of ideological supremacy whereby its practitioners are trying to compel someone to believe in something, whether there's good evidence for it or not. And this is a recipe Mm. for political domination. Yeah. And so in other words, post-truth is, uh, I really like this term, political subversion of reality. We've seen recently, I mean, we're going to get to Trump, um, believe you me, but we've, we've, we've seen especially how post-truth plays out in, in politics. That's a scary string of words. I will say. It's, I remember, it's, you know. I remember like the first time I heard the term fake news, I remember where I was and like, it was such a, I, I, I didn't, I didn't predict that it'd become this huge thing, obviously, but like, I remember it did trigger something in my brain where it's just like, wow, this is, this is, I was at, I was at a shell getting gas when I saw a newspaper or something, maybe on my phone. I don't know, but I remember thinking that like that. That's that's quite a strategy. And now here we are, four years later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the first time you hear it. It's almost like an oxymoron. Yeah, it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that to defend uh, CNN or whatever. Like that. Or they, all they, media. They, yeah. Yeah. They all get a lot wrong, and some of it on purpose. But it was this weird thing where it was like, whoa, like that's a that's a that's that's different. It's yeah. it's crazy because yeah now we're kind of past the point of no return yeah um so we start with this idea of political subversion of reality and so the the something else that Lee McIntyre argues is that the real problem uh, with this whole thing is not merely the content of any particular outrageous belief right it's not the fact it's not like um, the election was overrun or it's not. Uh, there's a worldwide cabal of child molesters that are being run out of, you know, galactic ping pong pizza or whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's not the content of the idea itself, but the overarching idea that depending on what one wants to be true, that some facts matter more than others. Mm. Okay. And so the, the fact that anything can be true depending on what you want it to be and i think this is key because this is kind of getting us this is sending us headlong into like the the postmodern nihilism because it's this is where the slippery slope starts i think yeah so yeah this is our working definition of post-truth and so at this point i'd like to talk about 
some of the factors that have led to the post-truth era. And I think we'll we'll probably be able to get a lot of really good discussion out of this because I, I have a feeling this is going to resonate a lot with uh, all three of us. So here's a, here's a couple. So I've identified um, uh, five, and this is from, this is from one of the articles. And I thought this was, this was very insightful, uh, not just looking at um, like the example of the U S uh, you know, in kind of the Trump era, but kind of a theory for how these types of things arise, you know, throughout space and time. So number one, the first is a decline in social capital and shifting values. Uh, so looking specifically at the American example, numerous social science studies point toward a decades-long decline in social capital, which includes things like goodwill, empathy, trust among people, trust in public in institutions, and civic engagement starting in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, and for sure. The same period has also witnessed an increase in social isolation. Uh, measured by the average number of confidants uh, as a result of a sociological survey um, and finding that the amount of people, average people within someone's orbit who they feel that they can trust and talk to has steadily been decreasing. And the, the uh, I just want to point out the internet kind of uh, took that trend and just like uh, pushed it over a cliff. Like it's like it, like it really sped up the that that process of social isolation. Totally, totally. That's true. Going back to Frutelli Tutti, right? Frutelli what, Tutti. What, uh, <laughs> what the Pope, what Pope Francis has instructed us. Mm-hmm. Finally, Satan praise his name. Oh my God, yes, he's totally going to get beatified after he dies. But I hope he never dies. <laughs> yeah. Pope Francis, give us money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely get your gold doubloons. We will do ads for the. We, we will do. We will do ads for the Holy, Holy Roman Catholic Church if you send us gold doubloons. Yeah. <laughs> or bitcoin or bitcoin yeah fuck or it bitcoin. yeah i'll take that full bitcoins you, you yeah. uh i'm trying to think of you chris coin or uh christ, christ coin, coin christ coin christ coin communicoin <laughs> communicoin yeah yeah the blood of christ coin i don't know something like that <laughs> just make it excessive Ooh, blood coin sounds really cool yeah like they probably already have blood coin yeah. there's like over there's almost four thousand different crypto projects i guarantee like I'm sure they have cock coin and gum coin. I'm just saying. I know they're out there. So, anyways, I want to tell. I want to. I want to wake up Lori right now and tell her that I've invested all of my money and her money. I got into her bank account into uh, cock coin. That's that. That's the. That's that's the one that we're gonna. That's the one we're gonna ride all the way to the bank. Yeah, I heard cock coin is up and coming. <laughs> You're gonna ride. <laughs> You're gonna ride it. Yeah, do, it's up and coming. Do, You're gonna ride it all the way to the bank. Do, do you get it? It's up <laughs> yeah. and coming. It's yeah. cock coin. Yeah, cock coin. <laughs> oh, we get it. Woo! That was a good one. Now, okay. rounding out this whole decline in social capital and shifting values is this shifting values part. So, um, you know, increasing distrust in society, public institutions increase in, in social isolation has also been accompanied at the same time by a shift in people's values and life goals. So for example, there's lower emphasis on things like helping the environment and greater emphasis mm-hmm. on being well off financially. So it's all about fuck the environment and get money. Right. So, so do you think the shifting of the values caused more of the isolation or the isolation caused the shifting in the values? I, I think the latter, but I, I think it was two things that just happened answer. simultaneously. 
it's yeah, that could be possible. it's hard to say whether there's a, a a relationship of causality between the two but i would i'd be mm-hmm. curious to know because we've got four more left and i'd really be mm-hmm. I'd, i really want to hear what you guys have to say about how those four and this one might be uh influencing one another okay because okay, that's so that's when it really we'll gets kind of juicy okay cool. so the second one is growing inequality So it's kind of ironic that at the same time that money has become more important to people, uh, real income growth has stagnated for most of those people. And just some, I mean, these are kind of old statistics now, uh, but this is uh, some things that the article mentioned that uh, the top 1% of income earners captured 85% of total income growth between the years of 2009 and 2013. And that's probably worse now, I'm especially sure. in the last so year. We had the we had the Great Recession during those years, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the same thing is happening. You know, with um, the super rich capitalizing off of the pandemic while everyone yeah. else suffers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, can you imagine how much worse it would be if Obama didn't send all those bankers to jail in 2008? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's, no, no, it's no. a good thing he locked all those people up so no, they no, couldn't no. do any more yeah, damage. Right. He cut all their heads off, don't you remember? Yeah, that's... yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have one. I still have one. <laughs> we all, every American got one if you wanted one. <laughs> a shrunken head. It's, it's like one of those TV commercials where they have those, like, limited edition coins, like some commemorative coin. <laughs> it's like on QVC yeah. and shit. <laughs> Get your commemorative banker head. <laughs> I'd buy one. <laughs> By 2013, though... Right, this top one percent of the of earners has have made more than twenty five times as much as the remaining ninety nine percent of the population. Oh, it's just because oh, guys, God. it's it's because they work twenty five times harder than us. See, that's all we have to do. We have to yeah. cut out the lattes. Yep. We have to work twenty five times harder. Like, it, they certainly don't have like they they certainly didn't like get money from their family and have just coasted off own, quote owning a business you know their entire lives. They totally. work twenty five times harder than us. That's exactly. why. Well, it it makes sense. There's only 24 hours in a day. Most people only work eight hours. Oh yeah. You know, except they work 400 hours <laughs> in a day. day. It's just it's obvious. In a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's simple math, you guys. <laughs> this might be this might not be a big surprise, but uh, I'll still say it. Big surprise. Increasing polarization is yeah. highly mm. correlated with income inequality, as we just yeah. described. Um, and this part is probably also not a big surprise but it's it was very refreshing to me to see it stated so plainly and clearly in sociological literature so this the so-called drifting apart was not symmetric this polarization was not symmetric instead it was largely the result of the republican party moving further to the right in a manner that's unprecedented since the 1880s right so, I mean, we all have that intuition, um, but this is also, it's also borne out by like serious, um, like sociological inquiry into the topic. Uh, not, not just like looking at what's on the news media or on social media. Yeah. So, so far, just to kind of remind you, we've got decline in social capital and shifting values. We've got growing inequality and we have increasing polarization mm-hmm. next. And this isn't like a hundred percent related, but to, to the other two, but it might be in some interesting ways. Number four is declining trust in science 
and flat-out science denial. Yeah, this one hurts the most. Right, it should this hurt. Hurts it should hurt Sean. The cool corner is uh, yeah. <laughs> is sad. And actually, I, I found a study that said it's actually the cool corner's fault. That like uh, is uh, it? Uh, yeah, uh, that you being into science is what's the, causing the decline, Sean. So you totally. need to get your cool corner, and make it even cooler. Totally. I'm trying. I'm I'm not. <laughs> it's not nine. cool enough. Have you um? You ever heard of the Cool Church, Sean? <laughs> I have. I see the sign all the time. They I, are I, so. I... If you want something to model coolness after, I think that might be. <laughs> hey kids, do you know what's totally on fleek? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no cap. No cap. <laughs> Jesus, no cap, died for your sins, <laughs> and that is dead ass cool. Oh, fuck. Deadass. See, I hate that Deadass is coming back around because that's been around. I mean, that that's an old that that's a New York fucking thing. But oh, okay, yeah. So we'll call him Jesus No Cap Christ. That's what it's going to be. That's his new nickname. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there we go. Amen. Oh, I gotta m- m- fuck with my gain here. Our okay, Father, ahead, who Deadass died for our sins. <laughs> How would be thy motherfucking name? <laughs> Goddamn right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Science. Okay. What is it? Why are we denying it? So it's it seems to be the case that there's been a general decline of trust in science among conservatives, especially during the last 40 years or so. And there's widespread evidence for this asymmetric rejection of well-established scientific findings by conservatives, but not for liberals. And it extends to issues such as vaccinations, things like nuclear power, genetically modified foods, and, of course, climate change. And I'm not exactly 100% sure what type of instrument they use, but I imagine it's it's like demographic surveys where okay, over yeah. time they're just I don't I don't know uh, what they use. I don't think it was just for this particular study. They're probably aggregating a number of different available studies that have been conducted. Um that makes sense. And they find that, you know, there's this correlation between uh, being politically conservative and not trusting science. Right. Mm. Now, I have a little case study here that I think is interesting. Um, science denial, uh, you know, not just not just distrust in science, but flat out denying the science has been used in, in a number of ways. We've seen it. You know, we'll get into how it's been used for political gain. Uh, but kind of the textbook example, it really started in creating uh, coordinated campaigns of science denial for monetary gain. Mm-hmm. And this no, this isn't a surprise. Come on. This That's isn't silly. a surprise. Are, are you surprised? You guys surprised? No. Um, David's not. Um, I am. I just don't understand. Yeah, no, of course I'm. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's uh, not a huge surprise. So the the case study that I want to present to you. Uh, briefly, is none other than the Tobacco Industry Research Committee. Because oh, no. I love that. You know, smoking's not bad for you, right? <laughs> not in the fifties. <laughs> exactly. So, in 1953, the heads of the major tobacco companies at the time met at the Plaza Hotel in New York City to discuss a recent scientific paper linking cigarettes to cancer. And I think it was just a, a study on lab rats where they like injected uh, nicotine or uh, tobacco tar into lab rats and they died of cancer. Mm-hmm. So this this meeting, this summit led by 
the public relations executive, John Hill, um, the executives agreed to sponsor additional research, in quotes, by the, the TIRC, the Tobacco Industry Research Committee. Their goal was to convince the public that there was no proof of a link between smoking and cancer, and that the results of the earlier study were questioned by, quote, numerous scientists. So sowing doubt about these results. So yeah. what, did, what did they do? They took out full-page ads in a bunch of different American newspapers to plant the idea that there were two sides to the story about the risks of tobacco. Decades later, in 1998, the tobacco companies finally closed the successor to the TIRC as part of a $200 billion settlement. So they had to pay a shit ton of money because obviously, you know, we know that uh, smoking does give you cancer. But mm -hmm. it doesn't fucking matter because their strategy worked. They were playing the long game. The, yeah. the profits that they made over those four decades vastly, vastly outweighed that $200 billion fine or settlement right. that they had to pay. That's <laughs> so wild. And so what this ended up doing, right, this established the blueprint for a so-called tobacco strategy. And the tobacco strategy is to do the following things. Find and fund your own experts who will, who will agree, your experts in quotes, who will agree with anything that you want them to. Use this to suggest to the media that there are two sides to the story. Then you push your own side through things like public relations and governmental lobbying and capitalize on the resulting public confusion to question whatever scientific result you wish to dispute. That's just uh, funny to me. And it, it reminds me kind of of, um, oh, what is it? The NIDA, I think. Uh, I forget if that's, yeah, the NIDA. Uh, for cannabis, too, the same thing. I mean, this is longer standing, but it's research that's, it's research, like you say, in quotes. They, they look for things specifically that are negative in, in the case of cannabis because it, it pays more to have it illegal. And then in the case of, tobacco they basically kind of rep repress the 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 negative shit on that side and only try to put out well, yeah, positive with, or not at all with right. with cannabis it's like it's kind of this it's, it's it's the exact same uh issue from the opposite end whereas like people exactly. are trying to convince tobacco was was uh unhealthy was healthy for you uh yeah. people uh pharmaceutical companies want to keep uh weed illegal because they want their drugs to be sold instead and they can't really precisely i'm sure they're tr they've tried they, they can't really control have a have a monopoly on weed although i'm i'm absolutely positive they've they're trying to or are currently well, trying to figure out how but it's kind of too late for that they, they 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 will have some hold on it i will uh, that's to be seen still i also think it's funny that the actual name of the institute is the national uh, Institute of Drug Abuse. <laughs> it's like, right. what do you think is going to come from that? Yeah, you know. But anyways, no, they they, they this... want you to abuse drugs, just their drugs, not not stuff you right. not, stu not <laughs> stuff you get from the ground. Right. Yeah, fabnalibnamab. Yeah. <laughs> they they want those in your body. <laughs> Don't forget Zeljans. And Zeljans. <laughs> so the 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 name of uh, of David's uh, offspring. My offspring, yeah, Zeljans Brown. Yeah, shall be Zeljans no, well... Brown. <laughs> That sounds like something I don't want to take. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but uh, brown Zeljans, yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think you have a very similar situation with cannabis. But like David said, it's kind of going in the opposite direction. 
So you right. establish this institute of experts uh, who mm-hmm. are trying to tell you, oh, well, maybe maybe there are some results uh, of about the benefits of cannabis, but that's not the whole story. It's really a debate because we have results that say that those things aren't true. And in fact, yeah. cannabis has all of these negative effects. And so mm-hmm. trying to and but on its face, it sounds reasonable, right? Because it's well, sure, there's two there's sure. two sides to every story, right? Yeah. yeah, but this is so You'd much think. more nefarious because it's like it's not um, it's not trying to trying to create genuine dialogue. Um, right. It's just it's just kind of strategic uh, idea placing kind of masquerading as as uh, open dialogue. And this yeah. and this shit happens with every industry. Like one, the, one of the more famous examples I can think of is uh, the dairy uh, industry. I don't, I'm not having. I'm not trying to pick on poor dairy farmers because there are no more of those. I'm talking about like the the dairy industry in this country. I remember we were kids. We grew up being told how good milk was for us. Yeah, got and, like, milk. How our, how our bones <laughs> would turn into jelly if we didn't drink eight glasses of milk a day. And of course, that's <laughs> all bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, I haven't had milk in a long time, and I don't, neither have I. Same. I, I don't have I, any I, jelly. I don't even like jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I love jelly. I don't know, but my bones have not turned into jelly cause, just because I don't drink milk. I just imagine one of us is like, "Yeah, exactly," and all of a sudden we hear pop, and then like you know, one of them is like, "Oh, I should have drank more milk. <laughs> I'm melting." <laughs> but fuck, I mean, almond milk has hella calcium in it, so who gives a shit? Yeah. And then, uh, well, and they uh, add uh, calcium to shit too if they and, don't well, have it. And the it. funny yeah, thing yeah. about the the almond milk or the oat milk is now the now the dairy shit. industry wants to fight those companies on calling it milk. It's like no one, like we all know, it's not milk. You, like, yeah. but they but they, they want it to be called nut juice or whatever, which is disgusting nice. because they don't want they don't want it to be seen as an alternative to milk, which it's already seen that way. I don't even nut think juice, nut water. But you, like, if you look at the packaging, it's not called almond milk. It's called fucking almond breeze or almond right, silk. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So this is very interesting. So we've got this whole like science denial thing that's a big, big part of it. Now the the last the last one that I want to focus on, number five, the last factor kind of leading us toward this post truth era. We alluded to it a little bit earlier. That is the rapid evolution of the media landscape. And in particular, the rise of social media. Yeah. Yeah. So we've witnessed a substantial increase of competing, often chaotic media offerings since the 1970s, and in particular, social media. Right. So it started off with uh, the 24 hour news cycle. Uh, We have. Hell yeah. More, uh, more like television channels. We've got more. things in print and then you know when when the internet took off forget about it yeah what this has led to in 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 addition is this the so-called fractionation and customization of social media content via algorithms this allows for what's called the echo chamber effect and what's the yeah what's the echo chamber (laughs) effect 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 (laughs) in so many words the echo chamber is information that people access most frequently just serves to conform to and reinforce their pre-existing biases 
And yep, that's the confirmational bias. Exactly. And this is ex- this is the algorithm. This is what the algorithm has done. Because, you know, the the longer, you know, the more fucking toilet paper USA articles you're looking at, the longer you stay on Facebook, and that's exactly what Mark Zuckerberg wants you to do. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is bad for a lot of reasons. This is bad um psychologically, developmentally, right? It leads to technology addiction because you're getting that you're getting that little endorphins you know you're getting that little jolt uh of 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 hormones every time you see something that confirms what you already believe right yeah you get the little the serotonin rush or whatever but even worse you know as it's relevant to post-truth this leads to uh formation of inaccurate beliefs even when relevant evidence is understood correctly and this is something that's been borne out empirically so from um the the article from the journal on memory and cognition um so that this whole echo chamber thing uh when people have been living in an echo chamber for a long time even even when they understand the evidence it's like i i know the evidence behind something like global warming for example and i understand it but i still don't mm-hmm. care i still think it's fake even right. though right so it's this this maintenance of the inaccurate belief even in the face of uh contrary evidence and including the ability to understand and comprehend that evidence and and this isn't just in individuals obviously this is across like society it could be you know, an individual who sees that, but it seems like, or maybe it used to be just individualized, you know what I mean? And that was better when you had a few people like that pockets or whatever, but it seems like it's bleeding across society. Like you say, uh, the idea of, of global warming in that way, they know it's obvious it's upfront. It's there. This isn't like something it's easily denied. And so that's, that's an interesting point. And I think it leads to, uh, this next point. So you have um, multiple echo chambers, very different echo chambers that are, you know, kind of exist concurrently. Some of them are related and some of them are are, are, are unrelated. Uh, but you have this very kind of vast landscape of differing ideas and opinions, perhaps more so than before. But it's uh, it's not just simply like. Uh, you have these kind of fringe people, like lone wolf fringe people. Now the mm-hmm. the lone wolf fringe community are a community, and they form their own echo chamber. And so, you know, that has created even um, more polarization. And so here they they call it a greater heterogeneity among audiences in the extent to which they are misinformed about important issues. Uh, and so right. They, they bring up this this really interesting result from a study, an old study from 2003 by Cole Ramsey and Lewis, which shows that people who get their news from NPR or PBS become better informed the more attention they pay to the news, whereas the reverse huh. is true for self-reported consumers of Fox News. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? So you have, um, you have this kind of vast diversity of... of um, of different communities and inside of each of these communities, they're all uh, consuming information kind of differently. And the outcomes of consuming that information are different as shown by this study. 
So whereas some people will um, actually become more informed by by gaining access to news, some people are becoming less informed the more news right. they watch. Yep, and then they vote. And then they vote. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. So, I mean, if you're not terrified by this by now, I think you should be. Um, yeah. Because you can see if you take a step back, the one thing I appreciate about this article is it's very kind of um, impartial in the sense that it, it looks at these from a, again, from a sociological perspective. And we're kind of detached from the emotional reactions that we have um, about certain experiences that we've seen or our own experience of consuming news. And right. I think you, you get you get kind of a stronger grasp on what's actually happening when you look at it from this perspective. I don't yeah, know. for sure. What do you guys think? Yeah, like, I, 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 I don't know. The, the interesting thing to me, I mean, this, this is glib to say, but, like, these are all, like, this is all a problem with, because of, uh, you know, capitalism. Like, the, all, all five of these points that you're going through can be uh, pointed to capitalism as the cause, which is, like, I, uh, other than just saying that, I want to, I want to, I kind of want to dive into um, the lack of empathy point, if that's okay. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's going to tie in really nice to what we're getting into now. Because so, like, and this is the, the the lack of empathy is like startling, and I think that the internet made that worse, certainly. Um, but like, this reminds me of a con. Like, so like, this is the the, the current controversy going on right now is 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 I think the. The two thousand dollars that work that every American is supposed to get, you know, whether it's really what, what he, they they promise two thousand, but it's actually gonna be fourteen hundred, right? Yeah. And so, like, uh, I obviously, oh yeah, yeah, I obviously think that's bullshit. I think that, like, I mean, like, every American should have been getting two thousand dollars a month since this thing started. Like the fact that the fact that they're they're um, uh, trying to trying to eke out with six hundred dollars less is insane to me it's just like why are you compromising all he's not you're not even like the the democrats aren't even in charge yet but they're already compromising which is insane to me but um it showed me a i saw a conversation on twitter about this where someone was like kind of defending um the democrats and joe biden about this and saying like well like uh the republicans would give us even less which of course we know the republicans are evil um but like uh his other point was that um, I just don't want to, um, I, I'm, I'm all for helping people out, but, um, I, I just don't like the idea of handouts and it's like, d motherfucker, first of all, two things, motherfucker, people are dying. Like, like they're like, th th people are yeah, dying. Not a handout. People are homeless. People are suffering. This is what we pay taxes for. And the other point is that how, how, how does people getting more help directly affect you? How, in what way do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? So in other words, you're not going to, you're not paying, you're not going to be paying more tax this year because someone got more, someone who needed the help got more help. Right. So, so it's I, just this, it's this weird thing where like the, the, the people are like turned this lack of empathy into like a sense of duty. Uh, and it's very, like, it's really, really American and it's really strange. I, I, it's just, it's, it, uh, it's something that's happened over the past 40 years, but it's like, this is where we're at now where it's like this lack of empathy has become so ingrained in us that it, they don't, people don't even like think about it or question it. Yeah. I would, I would have an appetite for exploring that in more detail because I think, um, there's a definite American quality to it. I would also like, um, 
single out like modern American evangelicals oh, in yeah. particular that mm-hmm. there's this there's this almost like um obsession with suffering the fact that like we should suffer as Christ suffered and that uh you know uh, dying during a pandemic or being homeless or starving to death is kind of how you how you uh live your faith in Jesus Christ but i, I mean mother teresa was like that as well but this is really interesting oh, like a martyr exactly i yeah. i like the idea and i think it's it's worthwhile to ask the question um if this were happening 40 or 50 years ago do you think people would would feel the same way yeah and that's and i i honestly don't know the answer because i like i i want to say that it, there would be less emphasis on or less concern with uh handouts i guess well are you talking specifically about the pandemic or are you talking about the pro- post truth era in general? i'm talking about the the reaction um just in particular that David was talking about the idea that like, okay. no, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be giving people these handouts. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. type of I just sentiment. To clarify that. No. Yeah. Cause I was just going to say, I mean, before David, the only word I was thinking about was empathy and, and he brought that up right away, which is good. And I, I agree with everything David said. And uh, the other thing to always say is that I would say to them, why don't you understand that it's better for the people to get the money and not need it rather than the people that need it and not get it. It's just, it's just, it's, it's simple. I I don't see how they don't understand. So then how, I mean, and I think this, it's like, how the fuck did we get here? Well, you know, we just went over these points, right? So, um, lack of empathy, lack of social engagement, increase in social isolation. There are fewer people around you who care about you and to care about increased polarization, Mm -hmm. There's that type of mentality that like, well, well, fuck them. They shouldn't get and, anything. And the internet causes like with the echo chambers were like, oh, these thoughts and feelings you're having aren't monstrous because I also feel the same thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, yeah. you're, you're not a monster for feeling that way because I also feel that way. Yeah. And so I, this is, I think this is an incredibly insightful framework to think about these problems because we can really see the interconnectivity and interrelatedness of all of it. I I like that you bring up the idea of empathy and uh, social media, uh, because this is uh, this is kind of another uh, another consequence uh, having to do with uh, this rapid evolution uh, and, and the rise of social media. And it is that online political discourse, especially political discourse, but any sort of online discourse that's carried out through social media has become characterized by extreme incivility and outrage. And really all you have to do is get on Twitter. You don't have to go far on Twitter. Yeah. Um, And it's, you know, this, this whole kind of environment has been described as promoting discourse that is quote, simple, impetuous, and frequently denigrating and dehumanizing. It fosters farce and fanaticism and contributes to callousness and contempt. It does. What do you, what do you think of those alliterations, by the way? Uh, I do like that a lot. Yeah. Fosters farce and fanaticism. I didn't write this, but I wish I did because it's, uh, you know, in your, your high school language arts class. Yeah. Uh, when you learn about alliteration, this is what they should use as, a, as an exactly. example. Exactly. Uh, a teacher I mean, would have popped I te- a B. I teach language arts, so I can use it. You should use this. That's true. Yeah. Agreed. 
David, do it. Hell yeah. So in other words, um, you know, people people are less engaged. People are less engaged civically. And um, when they do, they're kind of non-civil in their engagement, right? You have mm-hmm. the you have social media as this as this kind of like battle royale where people are just fucking constantly hating on each other. Um, and and this is this is kind of one of the main platforms in which political discourse is happening. Yeah, We're, they make it too much about themselves anyway. Yeah. That's the main and know, I, problem. I know because I can feel it too. We're just getting closer and closer to Trump because this is like, it's so yeah. him. It's behind all, you know, like there's little bits and pieces along the way. These little crumbs. It's like, oh, Trump, Trump, Trump. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. simple, impetuous and frequently denigrating and dehumanizing. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So finally, and I think really importantly, this whole social media landscape, everything that we just described, has created a reward structure for politicians to engage with potential voters through social media. Yeah, like the the Den Crenshaw Marvel ads that are just like the cringiest (laughs) things I've ever seen. All of it. So the cringe, the mudslinging, everything. And this has been termed strategic extremism. And wow. so I'll give you um, I'll give you an idea of what they of what they mean by strategic extremism. So politicians gain more from energizing their own supporters, often within some echo chamber, than they lose by alienating either like middle of the road or opposing voters. And Trump has done this very well, right? It's it's just like absolutely, it's just charge up the base, charge up the base, charge up the base. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these echo chambers that they're in already are spaces where misinformation and radical ideologies flourish depending on the echo chamber Mm -hmm. another kind of shade another kind of nuance here is that targeted messaging has been aided enormously by automatic recognition of people's personality attributes um aka uh the algorithm using predictions about them based on, for example, posts that they've liked in the past. Um, And this, you know, this um, strategy has been perfected by the marketing company Cambridge Analytica, Mm -hmm. which I hope we will do a deep dive on in a future episode. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely should. So that's, that's, that's where we're all, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, um, we've got all of this stuff. It didn't just happen with Trump. Uh, we're, we've been kind of building slowly toward it over the past 40 or 50 years. And we've been kind of moving towards post-truth uh, from a, a multitude of different directions that seem to overlap in some cases, but not in others. And we're kind of converging on this absolute shitstorm that we're faced with right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm, well, I'm trying to think or, or visualize when it fell off the cliff sort of, or it got to the peak or wh- whatever was the, the moment where it really took off and post-truth and, and all this shit sort of became forefront. So, cause I was talking about earlier, I asked that question very early about, you know, what came first and David was saying it, it was maybe more of a parallel um, but in, and in, in truth, a lot of these things might've been in parallel, but in my opinion, 
I think what really really catalyzed it, or it was probably during the fact that there was polarization was increasing, tensions increased. But really, once you had the science deniers, once you had something that was so concrete as science itself to start to be sort of destroyed and the sanctity of that science. I mean, once that failed, not failed, but the, the, once the denial was so frequent and it's so easy for someone to just be like, well, I don't know. It's kind of like I got into arguments with people like when, like 10 years ago over fucking things. And I was like, no, I was like, here's the paper. I was like, look at the literature, understand the science. And then I'm like, why am I fucking wasting my time on this shit? It's not going to work. It's not going to make a difference to these people. And that's what shit I started to recognize. Okay, whatever. And it's also why I don't argue with people on the internet anymore. I tell everyone not to do that. Um, it's a waste of time. It's, it's a waste of time to argue with these people that think in this way. And then so that that was the cliff right and we're falling off of it and then that just increases the terminal velocity into a shithole with the social media where you could literally post anything you want at any time and then that is just fucked and there's the um, we're lucky we're getting fact checking now with twitter and and these new things because fuck if that hadn't started this would have gotten even worse so at least there's yeah, some but I, I, I still there. wouldn't trust Twitter with that. I, I still think Twitter's going to do no. what Twitter wants to do for itself. But yeah, I know what, I, I, know what I mean. I agree, but at, at least at least someone's going, oh, hold on, hold on. You know, this person's talking, you know, go do your own research type shit. Yeah. You know? And um, yeah. And like, I mean, it's just it's wild because like Trump kind of gave it a name, but it's been around forever. I mean, like. I mean, like, with, yeah. starting with, like, like it probably started in the 60s and 70s. Not in that, but it, it happened before that, too. Like, I mean, like, I, I, I can only imagine how many, like, anti-Japanese articles there were in the New York Times in the 40s. You know what I mean? Like, how many, sure. in, the early, in the early 2000s, how many pro-Iraq war articles did these newspapers write, do you think? Like, a lot. And we just don't have them saved. Yeah, that's the yeah. difference, you know? Right. Yep, and so I get that. what is, right, so the, it, it is kind of elusive then. Right. And I think I think, David, you're exactly right that we we've got a name for it now. Um, but there's always been there's always been elements of it. Um, yeah. As you know, uh, uh, as long as there's been media, I mean, as long as there's been uh, discourses. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, the question is. What is it now? Why are we worried about it now? And why are we doing this episode post-truth? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Sean brings up the uh, the point of, like, the, the sanctity of science. That science is kind of this thing that we, um, this is kind of like the, the final arbiter of truth or should be kind of the ultimate yeah. authority on truth. Uh, and and if that is attacked, then we're in serious trouble. And I, I think one reflex of that, one manifestation of that that you see now, that this kind of anxiety behind that is that people, you know, using like, well, because science, right? There's there's yeah. already this, you know, we're we're getting close to the edge, right? We're getting close to the this, you know, this nihilism. Um and so there's this this kind of like invoking science and saying ah even fuck even like republican politicians right it's like well we have science mm-hmm. on our side we believe in science and stuff as sure. as if you know and it, to me it just kind of indicates that we're um we're in the type of environment where we're we're kind of starved for that we're kind of starved for absolute truth 
and so um, we're we're kind of holding on, like grasping to to science, while at the same time attacking it. And and not only that, but like one thing we haven't like talked we talked a little bit about is the 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 capitalization of science. Like like even if you like the, the people, I, I I I'm not trying to like defend like climate deniers or whatever people that don't believe in COVID or anti maskers or whatever, right? But they do have these like they they have things they can point to and say like well this was like the fucking dairy commercials were wrong the, there was a there was a in the mm-hmm. late 2000s there was a very popular thing called i fucking love science and they posted shit that was wrong all the time do you know what i mean like it was like yeah. so like there there like there there is this like once again i'm not defending these people i'm just saying that there is like this precedent where it's like people have used quote used uh, used quote science to make money They've monopolized yeah. the ability to not even monopolize, just not, not even monopolize, just just used it, like just use the word science to like get, oh, to push yeah, the yeah, agenda yeah. across, right? Yeah, yeah, and sure. I think that's that's part of the equation. What makes it so um, what makes it so terrifying is because now you know the whole thing. It's like there 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 isn't anything wrong with calling something fake like fake science or fake news or something because it's out there, <laughs> right? The milk thing was fake science. The The TIRC was. was fake science. Right. Um, yeah. And, but it's, that is terrifying because it's, you know, with the, the fears that we'll get to a point where we won't really know who to trust anymore. Yeah. Right. And if you can't do that, then, you know, what's the use? Right. Right. So let's go into uh, post-truth in current times. So we've talked a little bit about the background. So where are we now? And people probably know where we're going with this. But what I want to do is I want to give you a little teaser from the book Post-Truth. And uh, it's a it's a dialogue between CNN anchor Allison Camerata in an interview uh, that she did of Newt Gingrich, good old Newt Gingrich, uh, after mm. after Trump's inaccurate claim that the U.S. murder rate was at a forty-seven year high, um, I love I love um, real fast. I want to say I do. Lo- I know we're going to talk about him. I do love how Newt Gingrich is still being taken seriously after like he was he Newt Gingrich specifically is the one that kind of uh, like without Newt Gingrich there is no Mitch McConnell. I right. know that he was Speaker of the House, Mitch McConnell was Senate Majority Leader, but Newt Gingrich is the one who really weaponized Congress against the executive branch. Right. Yeah, Ugh. he was he was kind of an OG in that yeah. in that sense. Um, so I'm going to take one for the team. I will read the part of Newt Gingrich. Uh, okay, <laughs> but I need someone to give me their best Allison Camerata. I'll be Allison. Okay. Um, violent crime is down. The economy is ticking up. It's not down in the biggest cities. Violent crime murder rate is down. It is down. Then how come it's up in Chicago and up in Baltimore and up in Washington? There are pockets where we're certainly not tackling murder. Your national capital, your third largest city. But violent crime across the country is down. The average American, I will bet you this morning, does not think crime is down, does not think we're safer. But it is. We're safer and it is down. No, that's just your view. It's a fact. These are national FBI facts. But what I said is also a fact. The current view is that liberals have a whole set of statistics that theoretically may be right, but it's not where human beings are. 
But what you're saying is, but hold on, Mr. Speaker, because you're saying liberals use these numbers. They use the sort of magic math. These are FBI statistics. They are not a liberal organization. They are a crime-fighting organization. No, but what I said is equally true. People feel more threatened. Feel it, yes. They feel it, but the facts don't support it. As a political candidate, I'll go with how people feel and let you go with the theoreticians. (laughs) (laughs) I was holding back laughter at some of those moments there. Can you fucking believe that? Yeah, and this is this is like speak. We, we haven't spoken too much about him, but but speaking, this is what Ben Shapiro does too, where it's like, yeah, well, Ben Shapiro. He, true. He mostly tries to get like an, he mostly tries to get people. He talks with like he talks really fast because he's like he that's his debate style, where it's just say as much as you can in a little bit of time, so they so they have to they can't re- possibly respond to everything you're saying, right? And that's uh, yeah. But he also and then pick he it also apart later. That's his main attack. But he also does this. Where he also does the whole like the the. That well, you're wrong because of the, like it, it. It's just funny. You're you're wrong because yeah. I feel this way. Yeah. Yep. So I'm just yeah. Dude, I don't know. When I read this the first time, I was filled with existential dread. Yeah. And I didn't know if I was overact overreacting or not. But no, it's valid. So you guys knew this was coming. We got to talk about Trump now. Yeah. Okay. So right now, in a sense, right, the ultimate postmodern politician and post-truth paragon is Trump. Right. Given his unwavering nihilism and his zero-sum worldview, right? He views basically everything in terms of someone's got to win, someone's got to lose. Damn. That's true. Especially since becoming president, he's exacerbated Essentially, all these precursors, all those five precursors that we discussed in the history section, right, both in terms of the policies that he has gotten behind and just in general, his his way of behaving as a president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is I want to focus on those who so using those five points as a framework. I want to focus on um, the post-truth aspects of Trump in particular. Because if not, we'll be here until fucking tomorrow. So I'm going to focus on uh, some of these post-truth aspects in particular. And I'd like to go through uh, three that Trump has done uh, in particular. I'd like to start off with science denial. And there's really no surprise that um, Donald Trump is strongly associated with, with science denial. He's yeah. shown a willful disregard for scientific evidence of all types throughout his presidency, ranging from alternative energy, climate change, the pandemic, especially, whether it was for political gain or who the fuck knows why. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been involved in actively suppressing scientific information, neutering federal agencies uh, and blocking science informed policy which might reflect negatively on the administration. So there's right. So for political gain, but also for his own um, kind of narcissism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's just a few. I mean, there's so much, in fact, there's a whole website devoted to it, uh, but I'll just give you a few here that are COVID related. Ignoring CDC scientists on essentially all COVID related guidance. Uh, restricting what federal scientists can say to the public about the pandemic, 
taking away COVID data from the CDC. Remember that happened recently. Yeah. Um, bearing reports and analyses showing the impact of COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Yeah. It's insane that he's capable of even doing right? that. <laughs> and, and he's, so he's been really kind of at the forefront of, not at the forefront, but but at least probably the the public figure with the most FaceTime, with the most screen time that's been an ardent supporter of denying science as much as possible. Right. And I wonder, I wonder if this would have been, well, actually I will say it probably wouldn't have been this evident. He still would have been this person, but not as severe if COVID hadn't happened during his watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just would have been something that wouldn't have been noticed. Right. So. Well, I guess the other, um, if he didn't have COVID, he would at least have climate change. That's true. That's very true. At the at the very least, and we'll get in that in the in the get into that in kind of the next the next yeah. thing here. But he's okay. also been uh, been very responsible for increasing polarization. So even before becoming president, you know, during during yeah. his campaign, propagating false narratives about immigrants, about people of color, Muslims, in order to galvanize his base, which are typically white working class voters he's usually done this by stirring up feelings of anger toward and especially fear of those groups and again even i'll just focus on immigrants uh but i mean it kind of tells the story straight away so trump said if you remember what trump saying they're Mm -hmm. bringing drugs they're bringing crime they're rapists and some i assume are good people yeah and that was about Mexico. A good old, a, an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. This yeah. is a perfect example of Trump's kind of plausible deniability, which is, um, you know, you could if, if someone calls him on that, say, no, 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 I said they're good people. All, yeah, right, this, right, this, right. This, also, this also goes with his whole people are saying. Because, like, it, it's it's shifting. It's more plausible than I know. It's like shifting the, the, the blame from him. It's like, oh, I didn't say this. I, I'm just reporting what I heard from people. People are saying. Right, people right, are right. saying. It's it's the it's the data. They said, yeah. sir. They said, sir. Yeah. Did you see that? That like anytime anytime he says sir, he's lying. Oh, oh no. yeah. I mean, anytime he opens his fucking mouth, he's lying. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, they found it's more. Free, yeah. They they found that whenever he said sir, when he pre- prefaced something with sir, what someone told him, it was almost certainly fabricated. <laughs> Damn. So that's like his tell, basically. That's funny. So not only do we have these, you know, these gems, um, these just ridiculous quotes, but he also repeatedly has made claims that immigrants are a dangerous burden on the economy um, and claims that Al Qaeda had infiltrated the 2018 migrant caravan. Oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And so these are, you know, if you think about his base, white people, working class people people who live in communities where there probably aren't that many immigrants. There probably yeah, yeah, aren't that true. many Muslims or people of color or anything, you know, these like super homogenous communities. And so they don't know any better, but they're listening. They should know better, but because of where they live, you know, and I don't want to say like, you know, we should, we should blame people who, you know, have never had the opportunity to leave their little town, you know, cause I think that's, that's a little bit elitist. Say, oh, why haven't you traveled abroad or whatever? Right. Right. Um, that because, shit. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't, you know, never get that opportunity. Um, 
And so these types of people, you know, perpetuating these narratives about, you know, the about the so-called other who's coming to get you. Right. In, yeah. in, in, in terms of his bases has really helped to increase the polarization. And I think, um, yeah, if you if you look at the if you look at the makeup of the insurrection, uh, it seems it seems very clear that that's you know that we've seen this polarization uh, kind of play out. Well, yeah, but the insurrection was interesting because it was like also mm-hmm. a lot of um, military people, police officers, and and small business owners too. So like it's also like uh, the military and the and the the police officer. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into defund the police. Obviously, I, my opinions on that are have been clear. But like it's the small business owners who like. They can travel, but they also pay a lot of money to kind of live in these very white suburbs because yeah. they have the money. And you know what I mean? So it's 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 a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so I, perhaps I shouldn't I shouldn't paint the 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 strife of the work of the white working class to, you know, I don't I don't want to paint them too well, yeah, idealistically. It's, it's certainly like a lot of them, too. But it, it is like it is. That's the one thing that's weird about the, the insurrection is how it kind of breached uh, class divides and yeah. they did like which is something that this country has needed to do for a long time it's just that these people did it for the dumbest fucking reasons yeah it's kind of um, the they breached the class divide but not the racial divide so it was kind of yeah exactly oh like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah oh yeah, god damn exactly. it it's like we wanted to show solidarity yeah. between classes but it was for a racist cause kind of, <laughs> yeah. that's a very like oh, works well. curb your enthusiasm moment we can uh we, we i i was gonna don't even do it i was gonna say um we could probably talk about this in during the uh, uh patreon episode but you, you also saw there all all of those people who went are requesting uh pardons and like, <laughs> oh yeah no we'll we'll talk about and, that we'll talk about what giant fucking trump babies do these it. people are trump might do it like the QAnon shaman he's like oh i deserve a pardon you know i, I flew all the way out of there like that one woman in my private jet it's like okay oh and then there was that Jesus. one video of the guy crying and whining like you i can't be on the no flying li-. like it, we, we, <laughs> let's let's save this for patreon yeah so well yeah 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 good idea so the third um kind of the the, the third post-truth aspect that I think rings especially clearly with Trump. And um, just to just to kind of preface this, I wrote these notes a couple weeks ago before Trump's Twitter got banned. And so it's, it's oh. really ironic now. So uh, <laughs> he fits in perfectly to this whole, you know, this last point that we talked about in the history section, which is the rise of social media, right? Yeah. Trump has used Twitter extensively to deliver messaging and communicate directly with his supporters. And to point out real fast, because I don't want to give Twitter any credit with this, they did ban him, but they banned him uh, exactly after they pretty much had no more use for him. Like, he's he's on his way out. He's going. They found, like, they, they've had, what, hundreds of reasons to ban him over the past, not even his presidency, the past 10 years. Yeah. And they never have yeah. because he brings people to their site. But now that he's on his way out and he's pretty... Uh, obviously hated they can try to be like oh yes we're we're gonna do this now because we're a responsible corporation right and once it got actually or people actually lost their lives directly because of him, yeah they're like okay i guess this is too much now yeah yeah so so kind of take this section with a grain of salt then everybody so before uh before he was banned right it's very clear that he felt right at home 
in this environment of extreme uncivility and outrage. And I think that that defines right. him pretty well. Yeah. Um, social media for Donald Trump was a, a channel of direct, unfiltered communication. So he could say whatever he wanted to say without being fact checked. Right. And that that is until, you know, Twitter started flagging his tweets and then eventually banned him. Um, and, you know, really, so as a, I think this, this is probably the most germane point to post-truth in particular, uh, but Trump took post-truth kind of into overdrive after losing the election in 2020. Yeah. So if you looked, I mean, I would check his Twitter feed periodically, but it was just this like constant stream of tweets and retweets that were conspiracy theories about election fraud. Right. And almost right. every single one was flagged. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just crazy. And, and it's like, not only was it, and so basically what happened was it's like every every tweet on his feed was flagged because it was all about election fraud. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was just him kind of repeating the same talking points over and over again in all caps. Most rigged election in American history. I won big, right? In in spite of there being no factual evidence to back it up. And so you can, you yeah. can think about w- what kind of effect that had on... Um, on people in echo chambers where, you know, if you're kind of shooting those into echo chambers, it's, it's going to stick and people are going to become so convinced of it. I remember, um, watching, ah, fuck. I can't remember who it was. There was some live TV crew, uh, who was there at the insurrection and they were interviewing this dude from New Jersey. And I thought, Oh my God, that's embarrassing. (laughs) Um, but he sounded so sincere in his belief that the Mm, election had been stolen. And it was like, that's scary. It was terrifying because he didn't, you know, he, he spoke very calmly and you could tell that he was very sincere. He wasn't like riled up or anything. He was, you know, this was like coming from his heart and, 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 you know, I mean, it's like, if, if Donald Trump is tweeting about it, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day, eventually it's going to stick. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So that's, yeah, that's fucked up. So, you know, this was, this section um, was post-truth in current time. So I wonder, and this can, this can be kind of like a nice, uh, a nice way to kind of wrap it up um, because we're, we've entered a new era of post-truth politics, right? And denial of scientific fact and of objective reality Mm -hmm. in support of some ideology has become common political practice. Yeah. And so I don't know. I don't want to ask, are we screwed quite yet? But I guess I'll end with this kind of somewhat open question and I think maybe that can be it for today. We'll be we'll move on to ramifications next time. Um, but how how does post truth move us toward a more authoritarian style of government? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I uh, what, what this period has shown me is that like um, we are the potential for authoritarian government in this country is a lot more potent or like whatever like not it's a lot there's a lot more potential than I realized. Because if like than ever before, are, especially if, if people are blindly following Trump and he's like the dumbest man to have ever existed, what's going to happen when like a guy who knows what he's doing does it? Yeah, it's like the Hitler analogy that I've used. It's not even about. I mean, it, 
post-truth is is uh, incorporated into it, but it's just the fact that there is an individual who has followers that will literally believe anything they say and as will long stand as it, yeah, by it, them it, fervently. Like it's it just uh, it it's, explains it's, if, if you if you present these people with, some, with an explanation of why their lives are why they're not happy or why their lives are the way they are, then then yeah they'll they'll great let's let they'll they'll follow. Yep, and that's then you get you get. Uh, you get a Hitler uh, type, but Trump is that person. It's a good thing he didn't win because, you know, as much as all this fucked up shit that has happened, who knows what would have happened if he had another four years for this to grow again. And then and then he's like, well, why can't we get Trump reelected for a third term? Uh, it's, it's all rigged. You know what I mean? And then it's, burn it down, burn it down. And it's like, shit. Get him, Skeeter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I totally agree. And I think... It just it goes to show how kind of Donald Trump in particular was kind of like this perfect storm, right, in terms of like moving yep. us toward an authoritarian government. And I completely agree that with David that if that it, we can consider ourselves lucky to the extent that uh, the person who was at the head of that perfect storm wasn't terribly capable. Uh, but if if they were, then yeah. we really would have been in much more trouble than we are now, which isn't to say that we're not yeah. in trouble now. But if you, th- yeah. if you think about it, he came around at exactly the right time. We've, yeah. yeah and I, I was going to say that another thing that's made, I just remember I was going to say, uh, uh, the, another thing this has done for me is really, uh, kind of reconsider the idea of reeducation camps, like the, <laughs> the actual like idea <laughs> of like kind of anti brainwashing people. It, I mean, we, we don't, we, we, uh, that was mostly a joke. I obviously like uh, I, against their will, take them, take yeah, them, take yeah, them that's all. That's what I'm saying. But like, we have a real problem. We have a real cognitive dissonance problem in this country and I don't see how to fix that. Yeah. But apart from some sort of like radical um, yeah. means, but yeah, it's, it's weird to think about because you know, the same, yeah, the, the, the same reasons that kind of put Trump in this perfect storm situation um, are are precisely the liabilities that are going to prevent us from kind of emerging from it. And really, I think I'm super pessimistic about what the long term prospects are just because this shit's so ingrained. You know, we've right. got, mm-hmm. um, you know, j- just because Trump is out of office doesn't mean that people are going to have a greater degree of goodwill or empathy that they're going to trust each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly yeah. not going to help inequality, right? Which is probably, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to get worse no matter who's president. Um, and yeah. then everything else that comes with it, polarization, you know, you get science denial in there. And so it's kind of a, it's a, ha. Huh. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it provides kind of the ideal uh, ideal conditions for an authoritarian like despotic leader and i'm hoping mm-hmm. i'm hoping that what we what we've witnessed recently you know in in the time between when i wrote these notes and uh when we're recording it and in particular the insurrection which i'm kind of glad i didn't talk about in these notes um yeah but right hopefully that will be a wake-up call to a certain yeah. extent and we can kind of um, prevent or at least kind of forestall that that outcome that we're really afraid of and that is have have like a you know someone who's really capable of fucking shit up and yeah. biden will be in office uh when we record the next one and we will have seen what will happen uh coming 
in the next week. So. Yeah, we can we can we can dissect his his State of the Union or his uh, inauguration speech, which I'm sure will be full of forgiveness and unity and all that all that stuff that totally works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But um, if oh, yeah. listeners, uh, if this if this episode bummed you out, uh, don't worry because there is a part two coming <laughs> that is going to bum you out even more. So get, get, get excited for that. Um, yeah, get super excited for that. But it's okay. Then we're gonna we're gonna go back to other things. You know, I have an episode planned that I no, think but that, is really yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to like. Uh, th- this is also extremely important and stuff that we have to like consider and talk. No, about. no, David, no, you're scaring everyone away, David. <laughs> David, stop! I'm trying um, to bring them back. If you if you liked this episode, please visit our Patreon at patreoncom guys We're screwed. If you want to email us and say hey, what's up? Uh, you want a shout out? Uh, you can email us at gwscreen at gmail.com. And if you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or any place that you can leave a review, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Um, yes, we appreciate it. We like that. to see it. You know, it's, we need that endorphin rush too. And we want to make sure that, you know, you guys are liking what we're doing here. Fuck exactly. yeah. Goddamn right. Good episode. Um, yeah. I'm going to be like, David, we did it. We, we did, did it, guys. We did it. We, did it. Uh, we, we solved, did it. We solved we... America again. Um, we... But yeah, uh, bye, guys. Later, guys. Later.